Good morning and welcome to this week's edition of Let's Get Growing. I'm Gary Folio, your host, along with Bob Dodd from Lee County Extension Office. And uh, it's September already. It was a miracle. Labor Day weekend. Here <laughs> yeah, we go. Labor Day weekend. That's It's a great weekend. Close of summer. Wonderful parade. Yep. Coming up. Good, good. Tomorrow there will be a parade in it's Nauvoo. Nice. It's nice. And then Monday we'll have yep. our parade uh, in Keokuk. Keokuk's so, famous for their parade. Absolutely. We have 107 entries, I think. That's amazing. That's what Cindy that's, told me. That's great. That's and, great. And uh, that's a good-sized parade. Very nice. Very 87 nice. 87 horses and 20 floats. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> She'll kill me a, for saying that. What a nice, what a great, what a great event. And I know everyone looks forward to it, and, and Keokuk is famous for their parade. That's for sure. Got any good things? Six-tenths uh, of an inch of rain. I know. I almost had to turn the windshield wipers on. It was it was incredible. <laughs> I, I think everyone was kind of looking at it, wondering now what might this be, and uh, you know, it was. I just... took some pictures of the clouds, most ominous sky I think I've ever seen, uh-huh. and uh, strange, just like uh, big pockets of brightness surrounded mm-hmm. by all this black pillowy. It was it was really strange. I, yeah. If anyone had an opportunity to see that sky, it was something. Yeah. Yeah, uh, something else. It was amazing. And then we didn't get a whole lot of rain, really. No, we really didn't. Six tenths, I think. You know, I talked to some people, and everyone was asking what, you know, or a lot of people were wondering what it might mean for the crops, and I think it did help the soybeans well, sure just a little bit. But I think I think we're actually going to see some corn harvest maybe get started next week. I know that's hard to believe. About half halfway browned. It is. It's starting to brown up pretty quick. It is. Quick, so. It is. Well, Gary, I better get to work here. I wanted to share just a couple of um, programs that we have coming up. Okay, we're going to have you hold that thought, and uh, we'll be right back after a word from our sponsor. Well, it seems like just yesterday we were talking about getting our grass ready for spring, and now we're talking fall. And joining me once again is Dave Minner from ISU. So, Dave, what should we be doing now for our lawns? Well, Liz, uh, as we approach the fall in September, it's actually lawn care month. We like to do things in the spring because we're excited to get out and do something in warm weather. But fall is the best time, and September is lawn care month. And if you want to do something beneficial for your lawn, that's the time to do something. Okay. Should we be seeding, or what all should we be doing? It is a good time to renovate a lawn, or if you're starting a brand new lawn, you can seed it. But if your lawn's burned up and uh, the grass is something less than desirable, then uh, September around Labor Day is a great time to go out with a verticutter and work the lawn up and then seed into that. Or even use an air fire that we use to uh, poke holes in the ground, gets rid of thatch, but it also makes a wonderful seed bed. So both of those pieces of equipment are easily rented and, and good for renovation. Okay. Now what about weed control? Weed control, again, as we go into the fall, is uh, preferred to spring. Uh, In the spring, we see the flowers up, and we really don't care that much about killing the flower. We want to kill the root system of the plant. So for broadleaf weeds like dandelion and clover, uh, fall herbicide application gets better control of of broadleaf weeds. Okay. Now, should we still be watering or fertilizing? Hopefully, it's going to uh, cool down a little bit, so you can probably back off the watering. If you are... uh, seeding a lawn, then you put the seed down, you probably want to do a daily watering to uh, uh, make sure the seed comes up for at least two weeks. Uh, fertilizer, again, fall, two-thirds of the nitrogen goes out in the uh, fall, only one-third in the spring. Okay, all good things to keep in mind. Thanks, Dave. And if you'd like more information on lawn care, be sure to log on to gardeninginthezone.com. I'm Liz Gelman. Well, we're down at Gate City Seed Company. Dave's over here doing the jumping around, rain dancing thing. He's been rain dancing ever since last Saturday when we did this. 
tell it doesn't rain. You got to change I'm that tired, step. Got to change that step. Let's get something else going on here. Need a little water. But anyway, there's still problems we got going on. We got bugs. Bugs are trying to come in the house. Of course, we got water in the house. They're trying to come in. I don't know if that's why, but they are trying to come in. We can stop them at Gate City Seed. The mice are moving every time the weather changes. They're moving. We got the one bite at Gate City Seed. It works every time. We can help with the rodents and the bugs. Come and see us at Gate City Seed, 824 Main in Keokuk. KSB Bank has been in existence since 1868, proudly serving our customers. We have strong roots and a history of providing excellent service to generations. So if you need banking products and services, stop in at one of our four convenient locations and let our dedicated employees work with you to start your money growing. KSB Bank, member FDIC. Strength you can bank on now and in the future. Today we're going to talk about sustainable gardening in which you reduce, reuse, and recycle in the garden. And joining me is Ed Moran from Ryman Gardens. Now, Ed, tell us more about this new rose garden of yours. Yeah, um, here at Ryman Gardens, this is the first rose garden uh, in the nation that um, has been developed using sustainable practices. Now, what all does that entail? Um, number one, that we use um, plants that are disease resistant and cold hardy for our area. Mm-hmm. Um, we've also incorporated a variety of native and non-native perennials um, for use as companion plants. Now, what kind of roses did you use? Uh, we highlight a lot on the Dr. Griffith Buck roses, uh, as well as an assortment of other very hardy and disease-resistant plants for our area. Okay. Now, I've heard that you've really cut down on your um, chemical use. Yeah, actually, in this garden, we haven't used a single drop of pesticide this entire season. Wow. That's great. That's great to hear. Now, what can someone at home do to incorporate some of these gardening practices? Well, the number one thing you can do is incorporate the right plants. So, you know, choosing disease-resistant cultivars or plants, um, you know, use native plants or or other perennials that are, or shrubs that are drought-tolerant. Um, other things you can use is like incorporating um, uh, mulch, um, using organic mulch, um, as well as drip irrigation systems. Um, this garden here has about 1,500 feet of linear uh, irrigation, which uh, we can then apply the water directly to the soil surface instead of broadcasting it and losing some to evaporation, mm-hmm. as well as compost as being a great addition to the garden so that you don't have to use as many traditional fertilizers. All right, all good techniques to keep in mind. Thanks. And if you would like more information on sustainable gardening, be sure to log on to gardeninginthezone.com. I'm Liz Gelman. And we're back with Let's Get Growing. I kind of cut you off a little short no, there, but uh, we'll get caught back up. This is my first time that I, I've I, ever done this show. I so. understand. <laughs> I know, Gary. After um, about 20 years, I catch on. It just takes a while. And, and then we'll forget how to do it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I know. A couple of programs I just wanted to mention. I know um, we have people who enjoy uh, uh, talking about the crops that listen. And so I just wanted to mention a couple of, couple of programs that we have coming up. One, and they happen to be on the same day. Tuesday, September the 13th, in Van Buren County, we're having a program on hay production. And I know that the hay crop has been very short this year. And um, we're going to probably have a little bit of a supply problem and uh, more demand than supply, I'm afraid. but uh, Or maybe more, more demand than supply is what I should say. So anyway, that's on September the 13th, 5.30, Tuesday evening. Also, the same evening, September the 13th, again, this program's at the Research Farm at Crawfordsville, and this one's on Conservation Reserve Program, 
native grasses, and uh, it's a it's a field day. And again, this one begins at six o'clock. We're going to talk a little bit about the the plots. We're going to talk about seeding. We're going to talk about identifying the plants, how to take care of the plants, uh, and and also the benefits of growing uh, native grasses. And I think you'll really enjoy this. Dr. Greg Brenneman is presenting the program, and Greg does a very nice job when it comes to uh, sharing with people uh, information on, on native grasses and also a little bit on wildflowers as well. So September 13th. I wanted to mention uh, we're having our fall research farm field day on September the 8th, and this will be at the same location as the CRP program. Um, and this, again, this one starts at 1.30 in the afternoon. Um, I'm really pleased to say that we'll have Dr. Ellen Taylor talking about talking about our, he's our Iowa State climat, uh, climatologist. Ellen will be talking a little bit about the weather this past year, but also what's coming uh, for next year. Dr. Lampke will be here from Iowa State University to talk a little bit about drought-tolerant corn and plant breeding. And then we have some people from the agronomy department talking about soil fertility. So that, again, will be on September the 8th at the research farm, which is located just uh, very close to Crawfordsville, Iowa. Uh, Just simply follow the signs off from Highway 218, and I think you'll find the research farm, and that starts again at 1.30. Um, a couple weeks ago, I think I mentioned this last weekend, but or last week, yeah, last weekend. But I wanted to mention it one additional time, and that is the Southeast Iowa Forestry Field Day. And we'll probably touch on this maybe another time. But the Forestry Field Day will be held on Tuesday, October the fourth, and this will be uh, about number thirty-six, I think. But uh, we have a great field day planned. We're going to start just a little bit early this time. Registration will start bright and early at eight o'clock in the morning. And we'll start at Donaldson at the community room, and we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about the Forest Reserve Program, a little bit on the history of the program, recent re- legislation that's taken place, and we're also going to talk about uh, program. We're going to ask for public comments from from the public as well. Then about 9:30, we're going to move out to Lick Creek, which is a part of Shemek Forest, and we have a full day planned out there as well. And we'll be talking about white. Uh, white oak. We'll talk about some of the more common diseases and insects that we've seen this past year. Then we'll have a cookout right at noon. We're going to talk about uh, the Conservation Reserve Program, a little bit on timber prices. And then in the afternoon, we're going to have some mechanical demonstrations. Uh, Steve Armstrong with Armstrong Small Engine will be demonstrating some new equipment that we use on our acreages and in the forest. We'll talk about stand conversion, planting, care of new seedlings. So I think we have just a full day um, this year, like last year, if you're one of the 150 uh, people that sign up, there'll be no registration fee. And normally we charge about $15. But this year, it will be free. We have a small grant to help with the program. So if you'd like to attend, please make and sure and call. we don't have any trouble getting rid of those, do you? We don't. And <laughs> we have a great attendance. And food will be wonderful. We're having a cookout. Lots of great information. Lots of great speakers. And again, uh, a great location. We're very fortunate to have Shemek Forest here in southeast Iowa. And uh, again, to make reservations, please call the Lee County Extension Office at 319-835-5116. And again, make sure and do that very soon so that uh, there'll be no charge for you to to attend. Um, Lots and lots of questions about conifers, Gary. Um, And so I wanted to... Oh, my goodness, yes. And I've seen it all over town. Yeah. I guess I didn't realize the 
the full impact of it until I really started paying attention to them. And, and there's some serious situations out there. There really are. I'm really concerned about the blue spruce, the black spruce, but, but I even today I'm very concerned even about some of the, the pines uh, that we usually never talk about. For example, the white pine or, um, or even the white spruce, which we have very, very few problems with. But this year we're really starting to see some problems. And I guess a couple of things I would like to just mention. I've just had a lot of calls. We have a publication at the Lee County Extension Office and again, through a grant, uh, this is a publication. It's full color. It's it's actually better than most of the reference books that cost thirty five dollars. This is a publication put out by Iowa State University. Normally, there's a cost of three dollars, but we have a supply at the Lee County Extension Office, and we would make these available to you at no cost. It's called Common Diseases of Conifers in Iowa, and it's absolutely fantastic. It goes through most of the needle diseases that are very common on both our spruce and also our pine trees. And uh, in addition to that, it gives you in the back a chart of the different um, fungicides that we can use to control these diseases, when to apply them, and how to apply them. So this one is called Common Diseases of Conifers in Iowa. Um, I'm more than happy to talk with people about their trees always, but... One of the things I would just simply say, I think we're seeing a lot of environmental damage to the trees as well. And I know that it's hard. Here we set um, temperatures this weekend probably in the 90s, and it hasn't rained, or it seems like it hasn't rained forever. But what we're seeing, too, I think, is last year's results of a lot of rainfall and also a lot of rainfall in this past spring and June. And then we go to a situation. Any one of those conditions bring along... Problems. Other issues. Exactly. Uh, exactly. With the dampness. Of course, you have the mold issues and spores and things like That's that. That's right. And now the drought That's right. brings along a whole new set That's of right. circumstances. It just, all these are stressors. While There's, you were looking through that book yep. and, and thumbing through some of the pages, I uh, have seen many of these uh, exactly. issues. Around around the community, I mean, just where a whole side of a tree is bare. Exactly, and exactly. And this right here. That's exactly and right. Folks can't and see that's Destronia, and Rhizospira has been another one. But it's needle blight, and and some of the just like Gary was mentioning. Here are the key things that I'll ask you when you call, or you want to, if you want to talk about a conifer. I usually ask, is it browning from the top to the bottom? Is it browning from the bottom to the top? Um, how long have you noticed the tree has been losing its needles or the needles have been changing colors? Are the needles brown or are they kind of a purplish color? Because if they're purple, that'll be rhizospira. And, and the treatments will be much, much different as far as the time of the year that we spray and the interval. Uh, some of these diseases transmit the disease from the new growth or from the old growth to the new growth and so we want to spray right when the candles start to show uh, and some it's just the op i mean the it's the opposite and we may even treat into the fall so all of those things are very very important as to how we treat the tree and what we do and still sometimes it can be environmental just as we were talking about gary conifers do like dry feet and so you can say, well, gee, boy, that's not a problem. We're, we're treating them well this time of the year. 
But the truth of the matter is it takes a while for these problems to show up. And so I think really what we're seeing is the wet weather conditions in many cases, not all, but in many of these cases is simply uh, too wet from 14 inches of rainfall in June of last year. And I think we all kind of have a tendency to forget about that, especially after we've survived through July and August. So much has changed. I want to say, too, that we still at Iowa State University, we have a wonderful plant disease lab. Uh, Dr. Jesse heads that la- heads the lab up, and through the Lee County Extension Office or any county extension office, you can collect some samples, fill out a form. There is a charge of $10, but if it's a tree that's important to you, I really encourage you to submit samples to, through the Iowa State University, and if you prefer, our office is in Donaldson, but you can print the forms right off the Internet and then take them to our Keokuk Post Office and just simply mail the samples in. And we're always happy to talk with you about how to take the sample, how to prepare the sample, and how to send it off. I know there's some cost. I know it takes some time. But it can go a long ways in solving some problems. So I did receive my new almanac. Okay. For next year. Good for you. I haven't read it yet. Good for you. Any suggestions? Not really. You haven't seen it? I haven't. Okay. I have not, Gary. But um, any comments? Well, I haven't read it yet. Okay. I, mean, I haven't, okay. haven't even started browsing. But, uh, okay. Okay. I, I enjoy that, actually, and look through a, a little bit. And it's fairly close on a lot of issues. It is. I, I, I agree. And we, um, you know, we're really, we need some rainfall to, to get our groundwater back and get our uh, soil moisture back. No so. doubt. We're going to have to take a break here. A word from our sponsors. We'll be right back uh, with Let's Get Growing. This is Cindy Haynes with the Garden Calendar Minute. Creeping Charlie or Ground Ivy is a low-growing perennial weed common in shady areas of lawns. It is aggressive enough to outcompete turf grass in many areas of the home landscape. Fortunately, there are a couple of ways to control or eliminate Creeping Charlie from the lawn. Broadleaf weed killers that contain dicamba or triclopur will selectively kill Creeping Charlie without killing your lawn. Generally, two applications are necessary, and they are most effective when applied two weeks apart, sometime in September or October. If large areas are consumed by Creeping Charlie, more aggressive treatment is necessary. Killing the entire area with Roundup or repeated tilling is usually effective. New grass seed can be sown and the lawn reestablished after the Creeping Charlie is gone. Non-chemical options are repeated tilling and repeated hand pulling. Persistence is the key. For Iowa State University Horticulture Extension, I'm Cindy Haynes. Armstrong Small Engine in Donaldson brings you this important message from SEF, a division of VP Racing Fuels. Avoid ethanol in your two-cycle engines whenever possible. Armstrong Small Engine wants you to know that alternative fuels like E20 and E85 can void some manufacturers' warranties. Ethanol attracts moisture into your engine. This can cause poor performance and premature deterioration of your gaskets, fuel lines, and carburetor. With SEF, small engine fuels, you can avoid ethanol-related issues. SEF offers pre-mixed fuels for two-cycle engines. SEF offers 94-octane, 50-to-1 mix ratio, and zero ethanol. Pre-mixed means you open, pour, and go. SEF also takes the worry out of long-term storage with a two-year shelf life in the can or in the machine. Learn more about SEF a division of VP Racing Fuels and their two- and four-cycle engine fuels at Armstrong Small Engine, two miles north of Donaldson on Highway 218. SEF is for use in small engines only, not approved for on-the-road use. And we're back with Let's Get Growing. We want to take a moment and thank our sponsors. 
that uh, stick with us each year. And, uh, of course, uh, if you get a chance, stop in and, and tell them thanks and and uh, for sponsoring the show. And we're going to be with you a little, while, a little bit longer. I think we're going to go through October this mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we've yeah. got about uh, a couple months here yet. Yeah. yeah. What else you want to talk about? Well, Gary, I had one of our um, home nutrition specialists hand me some information, and she said, Bob, would you share this with, with your listeners? And she was talking about fruit. And there is uh, this is the time of year when we'll start to see some new apples come into the market and a lot of grapes, um, a lot of uh, very nice new plums on the market. And so I just wanted to share a couple of things with you. Uh, children and adults need about one and a half to two cups of fruit a day. And it is definitely smarter to buy fruit than juice if you're thinking only about nutrition. And so um, Patty Steiner, who's our nutrition specialist, put together what she calls the top five reasons why fruit is better. And if you're thinking about cost and nutrition, the answer is a little bit more complicated. But a couple of things to think about. Eight ounces of juice has about 100 to 140 calories, while a medium-sized fruit has maybe 70 to 100, so you can save a few calories. Calories from liquids also do not curb your appetite like calories from solid food. So so by choosing whole fruit, you will not compensate uh, by eating more or later in the day. Also, you are more likely to eat something along with the juice. Juice sometimes, juices sometimes are fortified with a smattering of vitamins and minerals, but real fruit or uh, whole fruit has small amounts of many nutrients. Light juices are usually diluted with water and have a calorie-free sweetener added, sometimes added vitamins. You could stretch your juice at home by mixing it with water. Processing and removing the skin and the peel result in less antioxidants, and whole fruit provides more fiber. And I think that's one of the biggest, nicest things about fruit is the fiber that we receive from them. So calories, higher fiber content, better nutrition, and fresh fruit is just so hard to beat. Um, It is just excellent. And I think some of the some of the drinks that we purchase, and I'm not a nutritionist, but some of the drinks that we do purchase under the name of a fruit juice, I think have very little amounts of actual fruit juice in them and just a, a lot of sweetener and also a lot of water. So that's Iowa State University nutrition specialist, Patty Steiner. And if so, you would like more information, there's lots of information on our web and some excellent information on nutrition and recipes and healthy eating and healthy living. Nuts are good for you, too. Nuts though. are very good for All you, right, Gary. Good. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Now, the cashew kind, maybe not. A little high in fat, <laughs> maybe, but uh, but uh, the, it's good. You know, a good, you know, the, the saying, what is it, um, everything in moderation? Right. I think right. that's, I like to live by that. I think right. that's a good one, so... One of the plants that I wanted to mention today, because we're starting to see some of our famous fall plants showing up, but one that I really like is called Fireworks. And we've been kind of, it's not brand new by any means. In fact, it's been with us for a long time. But it's a member of the goldenrod family, or particularly a particular type of goldenrod, and it's just absolutely fantastic. Um, Fireworks is a goldenrod. It is a perennial. Fits nicely into zones four to eight, so it works really well here. It is a member of the aster family. Um, 
Height is two and a half to four feet, so it still is not an overly tall goldenrod. There are some goldenrod that gets up as tall as 10 feet. They do love full sun. Uh, the soil can just be average. They do like a little bit of moisture. And um, one of the things that we can do to enhance uh, goldenrod is to mulch and preserve moisture in the soil, especially the, this time of the year. No prunings needed, no fertilizer, and uh, it has a little bit of leaf disease, some powdery mildew, and we always talk about powdery mildew and rust, but no, no uh, insects are not a problem for it. In fact, goldenrod does some really good things for us. They attract humming, hummingbirds, butterflies, and bees absolutely love it. Um, if you put it in front of a dark background like evergreens to get the most from its brilliant showy color, that's a great landscaping tip to use with fireworks, I think. You can combine it with asters and grasses and fall-blooming prairie plants, and you'll see a wonderful autumn garden. It, it is absolutely gorgeous. Um, I would say, though, some goldenrods can be aggressive. Fireworks is said to be very well-behaved. It does not spread rhiz by rhizomes quickly. It will slowly, but very, very quickly. And again, there's about 100 different species in this particular family. Most are from North America. Again, uh, the, aster or the, sun, the aster or sunflower family is one of the largest plant families with about 22,000 to 25,000 species. So this is one that you'll find in many of the garden calendars or garden catalogs, and you will also see these at many of our garden stores right here in the area. It's just absolutely a fantastic plant. I wanted to mention, too, today we talked a little bit about this, but I wanted to talk about a new publication. We're kind of jumping around here this morning. But a new publication out from Iowa State University has to do with maybe an acreage and adding a farm shop to an acreage. And it talks a lot about constructing or upgrading a farm shop and insulation and heating systems. So not only is it good for an acreage, but if you're thinking about putting up a home garage or a small garage, you may want to take a look at this publication. It is PM2089P, and it gives you some great ideas on materials to use in a farm shop or a garage. It gives you R values and also um, helps a lot in selecting materials and different heating types to use. Well, we're in southern Iowa, of course, and one of the key problems we often see this during the growing season has to do with arborvitae and a, and a particular insect called bagworms. And we didn't talk too much about this particular insect this year. We did see a few, but uh, we have had a few calls at the office. I think people are just having a chance to take a look at some of their, some of their uh, especially arborvitae. They're very, very susceptible to this particular insect. One of the things I would say, if you see an insect coming that's still outside of the, the bag or the container, and of course that's where they get their name is bagworms, then they're still very active. And you, if you use seven, you can go ahead and control them. I think at this time of the year, though, most of the bags are sealed. The insect's inside getting ready to make it through the winter. Once they seal off the container, the capsule, they look like an upside-down ice cream cone almost mm -hmm. uh, hanging on a tree. Once they seal that, it's too late, and you need to wait till next spring to, to try to control them. Now, you can hand-pick them off and right. make sure and discard those into the garbage um, or just get rid of them. But um, once they seal that off, insects, insecticides are just not going to help you at all mm. in trying to control them. 
So they can be uh, pretty. Uh, they can be very, very destructive, and especially this year when they're when these trees are under a lot of stress um, that has really taken its toll on some of the arborvitae. We're also getting quite a few calls on fall webworms. They're just starting to show up. These are those insects that like to feed, especially on the on the crab apples and apple trees and fruit trees, and they make all kinds of webbing. They like to feed on the leaves and make a webbing on the outside. <coughs> those two are kind of difficult to control. Oftentimes we may use something like seven to try to control them. We'll spray it, and it just seems to almost bounce right off the webbing. So for those, if you can, if you don't have very many, I like to just simply prune the webbing off the tree, just very light pruning. It's usually just a couple of small twigs, and you can remove it and then discard the insects. Um, if you do have it, and it's almost impossible to control it by hand, then in that case, you may want to uh, just simply uh, try using some seven, but you almost need to open up those fall or open up the webbing in order to get the insecticide into where the insects are. But we are seeing quite a few of those as well. September's here. I know it's still pretty warm, but this is the time that we'll start to see rodents, especially mice. They kind of like to get ready for winter. They love to move right into your garage or into your home. And a couple of things you might want to, this is a great time of the year, especially before the insects, the Asian lady beetles start to show up. It's a great time to maybe fill in some of those openings. Um, it's pretty amazing how small of an opening a mouse can get through. In fact, we say anything that's a quarter of an inch or larger, you want to make sure and use some uh, uh, some caulk, I guess is the right word. So we'll talk maybe just a little bit more about keeping the ins, uh, rodents outside and getting ready for fall here, Gary. Okay, we're going to take a break here. Word from our sponsors, and we will be back to close things up with Let's Keep Growing. Whether you like it mild, medium, or hot, late summer is prime time for making fresh salsa out of the garden. And with me is Ruth Litchfield from ISU. Now, Ruth, what are some important things to remember when making salsa? Great time of year to make salsa. We have all the produce available that we need to do that. There's two types of salsa you're probably making this time of year, and that would be your fresh or your canned. With your fresh, just make sure you're using good quality produce without blemishes, cleaning it thoroughly, chop it, slice it you know, add in your seasonings and your other ingredients. Now with your canned salsa, we have a different story. We have some concerns about how we're going to properly um, process that product to make sure it's safe to consume. Uh, so you want to make sure that, again, you're using blemish-free um, produce. But the important part of this is we're using tomatoes, which are a acid food, and we're adding low acid foods to them, like our peppers and our onions. Um, and that's going to influence the pH or the acidity of that product. Also, you're going to notice your recipes are going to have you add vinegar, lemon, or lime juice in there. That's also going to influence that acidity. So the important thing to remember is that you want to follow the recipe as it's directed. Uh, do not change those amounts of the peppers or the onions. Do not change the amounts of the lemon, lime juice, or the vinegar. Make sure you're using the concentration that they say. It's really important for safe processing. You know, you get some great nutrition out of salsa, so we want to encourage everyone to enjoy it fresh or canned. You know, you're going to get vitamin C, some phytochemicals, fiber. So we want to make sure that everyone's enjoying it, but in a safe manner. Okay. Now, how do you affect the heat levels of your salsa? Okay. When you're putting in your peppers, there's what's called a capsaicin vein in the pepper. And keeping in mind that the hotness of the pepper is primarily going to be found in the seed and in that capsaicin vein, as you see here. Okay. All right. Well, thanks for the tips. That sounds great. And if you would like more information on salsa, be sure to log on to gardeninginthezone.com. I'm Liz Gelman. 
KSB Insurance is your hometown trusted choice insurance agency dedicated to meeting all of your personal and business insurance needs. Give us a call or stop in at our Keokuk or Burlington location and let one of our friendly agents work with you to save some green on your insurance. KSB Insurance, protecting what matters to you. Well, we're down at Gate City Seed Company. Dave's over here doing the jumping around, rain dancing thing. He's been rain dancing ever since last Saturday when we did this. Still isn't rain. You got to change that step. Got to change that step. Let's get something else going on here. Need a little water, but anyway, there's still problems we got going on. We got bugs. Bugs are trying to come in the house. Of course, we got water in the house. They're trying to come in. I don't know if that's why, but they are trying to come in. We can stop them at Gate City Seed. The mice are moving every time the weather changes. They're moving. We got the one bite at Gate City Seed. It works every time. We can help with the rodents and the bugs. Come and see us at Gate City Seed, eight twenty four Main in Keokuk. And we're back to wrap things up. Let's get growing. Any uh, final thoughts or uh, predictions for the I, fall of 2011? I do. I do, Gary. We were talking a little <laughs> bit about rodents, and we talked about filling in those cre- crevices and cracks and doing some caulking, and I think that will go a long ways toward keeping rodents and insects out of your home. And uh, and also, in addition to that, may save some energy. Just good maintenance. Good maintenance. You just can't beat it. That's exactly right. Also, it's a good idea maybe to move or modify some locations on some bird feeders. They seem to attract mice, trash cans, and other food sources. Uh, Mice need only about one-tenth of an ounce of food each day. But unfortunately, they do um, grow in numbers very, very quickly. So you want to make sure and stay on top of it pretty, pretty quick, I mean, as far as trying to control them. Also, removing... Uh, places where mice love to hide, controlling wood piles, tall grass, debris, um, also some landscaping, doing some changes to landscaping can maybe remove some of those areas where they like to um, spend their time, uh, especially if it's close to your home is what I'm trying to say. Right. So, And a few traps inside can, can, can help control numbers as well. So that's uh, something. September's here, and we'll start to see some of that... Uh, some of the mice starting to move a little bit. Not if it stays 100. You exactly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. What what a year. I think, you know, when we lean back in the chair come December and the snow's falling and and uh, we look well, out I the window. I don't know. It'll be 2012. That's, r- that's right. You know, what a year. Change. What a year. We've had unbelievable rainfall. We've had drought. Um, it's just been a year of extremes, I think, Gary. Yes, it has. And we'll, we'll uh, know a little more when we see what the fall harvest does. But it That's looks right. like it's shaping up pretty quick. It is. It's going to be uh, it's going to start next week. And, you know, we talked a lot on our last program uh, about being safe. It's very, very dry. So yeah. I think we all need to be really careful because um, I think it would be pretty easy to have some fires. Absolutely. Well, we got to wrap things up for Let's Get Growing. I want to thank everybody for tuning in each Saturday morning at 720 on KOKX AM. 1310 from all of us here at KOKX Studios, 108 Washington. Thanks for listening.